Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you. I love appearing from the back. It's a very dramatic entry. Thank you, Vicky. Um, well, uh, it's a real joy to be here this morning. Hello, Blackfriars. Hello. Hello. Um, I realize I'm becoming more of a, I quite like a, a response as a preacher, so you might get some like amens. Are you tracking me? I did that in Stockwell and I was like, yeah, I like this. Um, a preacher needs to know that some people at least are awake, you know, as you're talking. Um, well, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Hannah, and as Vicky said, and I uh, have been part of Christchurch for a very, very long time. I'm getting very old. As I always say when I get here, I always feel like, oh, it's been so long that I've been part of Christchurch. Um, and I met my husband Johnny here, and we are married now, and we have a little girl called Maddie, and we go to the Stockwell service most of the time. Um, but I love coming to Blackfriars, so thank you for having me. Um, I am really excited at the moment, because, well, as you'll hear, I love Christmas so much. It's the highlight of my whole year. And uh, we are also praying for some exciting things. I hear that you guys, did you say you're having a Christmas party on Wednesday? Well, I'm a little bit jealous, because... In the South, we don't seem to have this Christmas party going on. But, but, we are having a nativity service with live alpacas <laughs> next week. So, you know, if you want to come check that out. I don't, I don't even know what an alpaca really looks like. I think it's some kind of a llama. Yeah. They're going, yeah, okay. They're going to be camels. So, I'm, like, so excited about that. And uh, Maddie's really excited about it. She has been, like, wanting to invite all 90 of her classmates, like year mates. Um, so she's been bringing all the leaflets she can to school and at the school gate, she's like giving them all out. She loves it. And um, some of her little friends like get really excited. There've been a few mornings I've been giving them out to everybody they can find. And one of her friends keeps giving them out saying, this is for a church activity. I think she's heard nativity and thinks it's an activity. <laughs> um, I've heard a few of the parents have ripped them up, but that has not deterred Maddie um, living in this post-Christian climate. She's still going for it, still giving them out. When the parents rip them up, she just gives three. Um, it's like, Nellie needs more. Daddy ripped it up. <laughs> um, no, hopefully we will have some keen people from school coming next week, and I hope that you really enjoy your carol service next week. Um, Oh, they're just my favorites. I really just, I love it so much. And it's such a pleasure to speak today because I get to, I get the standalone Sunday. So we finished our series on faithful presence last week. And uh, of course, next week, uh, we start the beginning of the Christmas festivities. So this week is our kind of standalone week. And we're going to be looking at the theme of Advent. Um, so yeah, I am super excited. I love, I actually think I love Advent even more than Christmas, <laughs> if it's possible, because it's all the build-up, it's all the lead-up. I just, I love the space to kind of just in, uh, enjoy the, the hymns and the carols and the words. I, I love them so much. I love the symbolism and the darkness and the lights. Um, all of it is wonderful to me. Um, and I actually really love an, um, the, um, the actual practice of Advent, like as the 
the as a um, kind of tradition. I love some of I, I love making up some new traditions. I feel like I'm at the beginning of that, um, but I am making some up as I go along year by year. And um, there are a few things that I've started to really enjoy doing to get into Advent to prepare myself for this celebration of the incarnation of Jesus coming at Christmas. And um, <clears throat> that's what we're going to be looking at today, like what is Advent, what, we can, what can we do to prepare ourselves to celebrate Jesus' coming, and um, what is Advent even supposed to be? Uh, well, just to start really briefly, Advent, as I've said, is a, a, a period of time in the Christian church calendar. It's actually the very beginning of the Christian year. So the 1st of December is the first year of the church calendar. Did anybody know that? I did not know that, I, but it's cool. And what I think is really great is that it's, it's not the 25th of December, it's not the day we celebrate Jesus' birth, that's the first day, but it's the four weeks before. That's how important it is that we, ca- we actually prepare ourselves for that celebration. It's like Lent and Easter. We need that time to, to reflect, to think, to pray, um, so that we are ready to celebrate um, on the 25th. The word um, Adventus, uh, so Advent comes from the, word, the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. It's a time where we anticipate the coming of Christ. So as we talk about and think about Advent and how, how to do it, um, I'm going to suggest three things, um, simple things that we can do to prepare our hearts, prepare ourselves, um, and practice Advent. And they are um, these three. So firstly, acknowledging the darkness. Um, The second thing is waiting in hope. And the third thing is resting. So, acknowledging the darkness. Now, disclaimer, unfortunately, this talk (laughs) starts out a little bit dark and um, intense. I'm sorry about that, but we have to kind of start there to get to the the next few places. I know it's a Sunday morning. Maybe some of you didn't wake up that long ago. That's how I felt when I was giving it and stuck all this morning. I was like, whoa, (laughs) just woke up and (laughs) we're already in the darkness. But um, if you can just (laughs) bear with me um, for a few moments um, as we go there, but come up quite quickly. So to me, Advent is a time of kind of waking up I guess in a spiritual sense, it's a time of waking up to the reality of our lives, the reality of some of the darkness that we experience, and waking up to the reality of some of the darkness in the world around us. I don't know about you, but I can find that my life is so busy and I have so many different responsibilities and roles that I play that it can just be like I go from one thing to the next. And sometimes I don't even have the time to really process my own life and how I feel. We read the news and we can read upsetting things that are happening in real life, but there's so much information in our news feeds that there's not really the time and the space to actually feel or think or process what we're reading. And I think that Advent is a time for waking up to those realities. Now, I know that culturally it's a time of extreme busyness and lots of to-do and loads, maybe more distraction than usual, So we kind of, as Christians, I think Advent calls us to really go against that. And I don't mean that we don't do all those things, we don't buy the gifts, we don't go to the exciting Christmas parties or nativity plays or whatever it is, but 
I think it calls us to take the time out, even just some moments every day or once a week, to consider the reality of our lives and the world that we live in. Um, so one of the, I talked about Advent traditions. One thing I love doing at Advent is once a week, I like to light a candle. And I know this is one of the most common Advent practices. You know, you have the Advent candle or you have four candles around a wreath. And, um, and you light the candle. Uh, but for me, I don't know if this is, if I read this somewhere or everybody does this or it's just me. But for me, uh, I love the symbolism of turning off the light. Uh, and I do this in the evening always, on Sunday nights during Advent. I turn off my kitchen lights and the room is pretty dark, apart from some street lights uh, further away outside the window. The room is pretty dark before I light the candle. And for me, this is really important symbolism because if I light the candle when my kitchen lights are still on, you know, you get some of the effect when you turn off the light, but you don't get the full effect of the candle flame, do you? But when I turn off my kitchen light and I just take a moment to be in the dark kitchen before I then light the candle in the middle of my kitchen table, I find that ignites something in me. It reminds me of us, how we are in darkness and we need the light of Jesus of Christmas. So I think Advent calls us to metaphorically turn off the lights to recognize the darkness for what it really is. So what does this look like? Well, it means taking a moment to simply sit in silence and consider where our world is at, for example. We have climate change going on, don't we? We see it all the time. Uh, you hear phrases like, the world is burning. Species are dying out. The Syrian war continues another year, I remember it popped up on Instagram the other day going through my friend's pictures of babies and Christmas trees and then Olivia Coleman talking about, did anyone else see that UNICEF one? And it was faces of little children in Syria. But you don't even get a moment, do you, sometimes to process that, that that is really happening right now in the world. Human displacement is at an all-time high all over the world. There are people who won't have enough to eat people who are experiencing curable, dying from curable diseases, inequality right across the world, injustices. The world is quite dark. And then our personal lives, what do we bring to Advent this year? What darkness do we want to recognize and acknowledge that we bring into Advent, this Advent season? I don't know if Christmas is a time that often we feel acutely aware and maybe to t of these things and maybe taking a moment to acknowledge them. Are there unfulfilled longings or hopes that we bring into this season? Are we bringing in grief of people we've lost? Broken relationships? Whatever our darkness is, let's take a moment to acknowledge our own darkness that we live in. And lastly, the people around us, the people we love, our families, our friends, the people we work alongside and live alongside, are they experiencing darkness? Take a moment to consider the darkness around you. And simply 
just sit with it for a moment. Why do we do this? Why would we sit in the darkness for a moment? Well, like I said earlier, we don't do it to self-indulge. I don't turn off the light to simply uh, be a bit like miserable in the dark. We don't do it to self-pity, to wallow, or to make ourselves sad. No, we do it so that we can light the candle of Advent in the middle of the darkness. We can remember who Jesus is in the reality of this world as it is, in the reality of our lives as they are. Isaiah 9 verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those walking in the land of deepest darkness, a light has dawned. It doesn't say to a people living it up and partying and living under artificial lights, there seems to be a vague light in the distance. There are people walking in darkness that have seen the light. And Jesus says, doesn't he, in his time in ministry, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in that darkness, but will have, enjoy the light of life. So at Advent, we acknowledge the reality of the darkness so that we can appreciate the wonder and the true brightness of the light of Jesus. So we acknowledge the darkness, and we also, we, we wait in hope. Now, waiting, um, we all know, is something our generation is increasingly, or humanity is increasingly terrible at. Who can remember the day when we were much more accustomed to waiting, um, when with um, waiting for good songs or our favorite artists? You'd have to listen to the radio for like two hours waiting for that Blink-182 or Westlife song to come on. Um, I don't know, maybe it's, there's some younger people, older people, I don't know what it was for you. But, um, and you know, some of it, I remember I'd have like my record button and my blank tape, and you just really like press record as fast as you could, and, um, and the joy of your song coming on was so great because you'd waited for like two hours by the radio for it, or maybe a few days of trying to listen to the radio, waiting for that Spice Girl song to come on, and it finally does, and the joy is just amazing. Do you remember that feeling? It was, it was so good, and we don't get that anymore. We stream whatever music we want, whenever we want, on whatever device we want, and hey, if you want the music video with all the lyrics, you just go onto YouTube. Do you remember? I used to then like record it, then play it back, and I would write all the lyrics out so I could sing along in the mirror. So fun. I really miss those days. <laughs> um, now YouTube just makes it so easy. Um, I don't even bother. But, um, but it was so fun for having, or so joyful for the waiting. Or, you know, when you waited for your favorite TV show to come on. And so, like, I remember my family was really into ER at one point. And, you know, the weeknight at the time of the show, everybody's, like, five minutes before the show starts on the sofa. Everybody's like, quiet, quiet, I gotta go to the bathroom. I gotta make a sandwich, whatever. But and we're like, shut up, everybody, it's coming on. And then the, like, opening thing song would come on, and you'd be, like, so excited. It's finally starting. You waited a whole week for this next episode. And then it plays, you enjoy it so much because you know there's only one and it ends on a cliffhanger and you're just like, oh man, I just want to watch the next one so bad, but I got to wait a whole week. And you'd wait a whole week and the joy would be the same the next Thursday night. 
that's a very trite example, but it's true, right? We, that's, that's a small example, but I think in all of life we're becoming worse and worse at waiting. We don't have to wait for anything anymore. Netflix starts the next episode before we even have time to scramble for the remote to try and stop it so that we stop ourselves watching TV until midnight. The crown is killing me at the moment. Um, <laughs> it's just too much, those cliff uh, hangers, whatever they're called at the end. Um, but um, actually, waiting is a spiritual practice, and it's something that the people of God have always done. So at the very beginning of the, the, the Bible, we, hear, we read of Adam and Eve, and they disobey God, they eat the fruit from the tree, they turn away from God willfully, and God tells them that that will significantly change their future, but that there is a promise of deliverance from themselves and from the evil that's in the world, from the darkness, and it will come through the seed of Eve. The people wait, seed after seed after seed. None of them seem like they're gonna be the deliverer. They wait generation after generation after generation. There's endless, pro well, many, many prophecies throughout the Old Testament of the Messiah who is coming, the deliverer, that seed is coming. Like Isaiah 9, a child, a son would be born and uh, the government would rest on his shoulders and of his government and peace there would be no end. They're waiting in hope. They're waiting in hope. And the, the, they are waiting in hope. This is how Christians wait. We don't wait like for, for the promises of God to be fulfilled, like we wait for the bus which might not come. We wait on the promises of God in hope. And the hope is anchored in God's word, which we know and we're expecting to be fulfilled. So the Hebrew words for hope in the Old Testament, yachal and chaval, actually mean to wait. Hope and waiting are... The, like two sides of one coin. And of course, now we stand on the other side of Jesus having been born. Uh, we celebrate that he was born. We experience the presence of Jesus in our lives. We experience the Holy Spirit, all the benefits of the incarnation of Jesus' rule having been started. But we don't stop waiting. Advent is also about waiting for his return for the full rule and reign of Jesus on this earth to come. And we again, like the people in the Old Testament, we anchor our hope and our waiting on the word of God. In Psalm 130, it says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my trust. This waiting, this hoping is anchored to the word, and you're waiting for that word to be fulfilled. And guys, we're waiting for an amazing word to be fulfilled. There's so much of it in the Bible. And take Advent to read them. Read about what it is we're waiting and hope for. Be in the darkness, but read the word of God and put your hope in that word and wait for it. Sit by that candle with your Bible and read the promises of God for our future. Revelation 21 is an example John sees a vision of what is coming for us in the future for this world. He says he sees a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus shouts, I am making everything new. The whole of creation and humanity being redeemed and renewed. It says he sees God wiping away every tear from our eyes. 
No more crying, no more mourning. Amazingly, he says, there will be no more death. That's the picture. What could be better? What is worse than death? Nothing. What could be better than no more death? I don't know about you, but I am waiting in hope for no more death. I will sit by my candle and I will read Revelation 21 and anchor all my hope, all my waiting in that word. The dictionary says that waiting is the action, the action of staying where one is until a particular time or event. When I read that, I was like, it's like waiting is like a rebellion against the times, a rebellion against the darkness. Everybody, when something bad happens, what does our culture, our society do? Everybody starts running around like headless chickens. It's crazy. Everybody's um, talking a lot. Everybody's freaking out, despairing. And the Christians, the people of God say, nope. My hope yesterday was that in God's word, that's my hope. That's what I'm waiting for. And no matter what happens tomorrow, what is happening today, my hope is staying put there. I'm waiting. I'm staying put. And I don't mean we don't do anything, we don't take any action, but in terms of where we put our hope, where we put our trust, we're staying the path. That's waiting. You're staying the path. You're not looking to the right or to the left for another solution. The ultimate answer, you're not going to look in technology or a people or a politics. Nothing else is the answer but him and his word being fulfilled. This thing of waiting, the Psalms actually mention the word wait 40 times. It's a spiritual practice for us Christians. I'll just give you some examples. Uh, we read Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Then elsewhere in the Bible, we have blessed are those who wait for him. Be patient until the Lord's coming. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. But if we hope for what we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. I know there's, that's a lot of verses. There were so many more. But I wanted you to see the Bible is full of telling us, people of God, wait. Wait. Stay the course. Stay put. Take action of staying right where you are until a particular time and a particular event, and that is Jesus coming back. I read this beautiful sentence by uh, an American academic and theologian, Stanley Hauervis. Hauervis? I said it wrong in Stockwell. I think I've said it wrong again. Uh, he said, this advent is the recovery of how to live in a world of impatience as a patient people. Let's practice that this Advent. Let's sit for a moment in silence, in the darkness. Then let's, you can do it literally or metaphorically, light the candle in the middle of that darkness. Open our Bibles and read the words and wait. Now the final thing that we can do at Advent to prepare ourselves is rest. Now, <laughs> 
very ironic, isn't it? Who here is actually more tired by the end of the Christmas holidays than they were on the 1st of December? Hands up. Oh, yes, many of us. I'm always more tired. I always feel like I go back to work and people say, how was Christmas? And I say, oh, it was um, <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> Very, very tiring month. There's so much to do, so many people to see, so many things to think about, so many gifts, so many events, so many meals, so much hospitality, so many cards to write, so many gifts to wrap, so many things to do. Growing up, Christmas was like a crazy time um, for me as a family, as I think it is for many of us. We lived in Europe and we'd go back to the States every Christmas to my mother's delight. Um, every year she's like, can we just stay home? And we'd be like, no way, we're going to Connecticut. Connecticut's like Christmas dreamland. It often snows, you've got these New England wooden houses. Everybody has like a single candle in the window. There's beautiful big wreaths everywhere. I mean, it really is like the Christmas dream. So it was a dream as a child. But my, um, I'm one of four, my mom's one of 11, my dad's one of five. Everybody has like four or five children. There were a lot of gifts. We had, no joke, often two like industrial-sized trolleys going through the airport, like full ma mountains, two mountains of suitcases and boxes of presents. We were like a circus going through the airport, just like these huge <laughs> trolleys, like children hanging off them, a newborn like falling. It was crazy. And then we'd arrive in Connecticut and it was mayhem. There would be huge parties because I really do have like well over 50 first cousins and everybody gets together and it was amazing and fun, but crazy. And that is what Christmas can be like, packing, traveling, um, getting the kids together. I mean, when you're the child, it's really fun and amazing. I actually text my mom in the taxi here just because it reminded me I'm so grateful she did that every year for us. Um, but for the children, it's fun, but for the adults, so most of us, all of us in this room, it can be not as fun <laughs> because we're the ones doing all the work. We're the ones going into families where maybe there's some tension. We're the ones aware of that darkness, the longings in our hearts. Christmas can really bring those things up for us, whether we're longing for a relationship or a child or a change of job and our relatives ask us about all these things, right? It's hard, it's a really, really tough time of year. And I think that's why by the end of it, we can see, we can feel not just physically exhausted, but like emotionally quite tired and drained. But I wanna encourage us um, kind of at the beginning-ish of Advent this year, that I really think that if we take the time like I've been saying, to acknowledge the darkness, if we take the time to wait and hope on God's word, I think something of a rest at a soul level can come for us at this time of year, a very, very deep sense of rest. Because as we wait and hope, and as we acknowledge, we're basically acknowledging that we can't fix that darkness. We're waiting in hope, and we're saying, do you know what, I can't, fix God. I'm acknowledging what is wrong with me, my life, with the world around me, and I can't fix it, but you have come to do something about it. You are fixing it. You will fix it. We're saying that we are not the saviors. We are not the solution. We are not the answer, but he is. I just get a sense of what time... Um, we usually finish five to 10, okay. As usual, I will cut some. I always get to the stage and I have to cut some out. Um, but I, um, 
A few years back, I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this before, so I'm sorry if I have, although Liam does inform me that most people forget what preachers say, so I'm sure you have forgotten this. Um, <laughs> but a few years ago, I went on um, a retreat in Switzerland, which is for people who have had uh, difficult experiences working in the field. So this is an, a kind of humanitarian, international development or mission context. People who've uh, worked in other contexts and cultures and have had a difficult experience. And um, it's a Christian retreat. And I had a, an American lady who was like my counselor through it, and uh, she has, she's American, but she's worked most of her life in many different contexts, uh, many different cultures throughout Africa and the Middle East, and has counseled hundreds of missionaries, aid workers, humanitarian workers. Um, and she pointed something out to me that she has seen repeatedly um, with um, a lot of Western workers. And um, it's kind of, so it's a, a, a cultural observation. And she said it's quite common for Western people to to um, look at a problem in a, and, and we basically, culturally, uh, we want to fix things. We want to quantitatively see uh, that it's getting better then. We want to find a solution to the problem. And she said this can be problematic when you're going into cultures which don't necessarily see problems in the same way or see solutions in the same way, and they're not... Um, they're not worse, they're just completely different. Um, and, and essentially what this is is what we hear of as the kind of Western savior complex. And it's not something I would have ever wanted to think um, I had inside me, or um, never want, definitely wouldn't have ever wanted to, well, I just wouldn't have thought that I had it, but she helped me to see that I did. And that some of my frustration with what had happened and my hurt was, was linked to that, that I didn't see a quantitative change, that people didn't see it the same way I did, and we end up feeling bitter and burnt out and exhausted. And Advent reminds us that this way of thinking is actually wrong. It's a, a cultural tendency we have that, I mean, there can be some positives, but I think a lot of the time it makes us, as a culture, proud and arrogant, um, can then leave us bitter and, as I said, exhausted and burnt out. And Advent reminds us that this is wrong, that we are not the solution, that we are not the saviors, that we cannot fix on our own, we cannot fix the problems of this world. Isaiah 9 says that the light dawns on the people living in great darkness. The people are not rubbing sticks together, coming up with some technology to make the light happen, they're not using a microscope, whatever, to bring fire and light. The light dawns. So you don't have to do anything but to wait. Wait in hope for the sun to rise again. That is what it's like to wait for God's light to shine on this world. And as we do that, we experience such a deep level of rest in our souls. And very lastly, um, I was thinking about this and how, how in the darkness and in the waiting, we are longing, aren't we, for the dawn to come up, for God to come and to shine on our lives and on our world. And many of us in this room will have experienced what it's like when kind of God's light shines on our lives. It's 
we can experience physical healing, we can experience um, emotional healing, we can experience financial provision, we can experience um, relationships, wonderful relationships coming, we can experience uh, miracle babies being born, we can experience all these things which are the light shining on us and on the world, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful, and I think we should pray for it and long for it. But I was reflecting on how there is something even better than that. There is something that at Advent we can remember and experience again, which is better than all the benefits of the light. And it's that the light has a source. The light always has to come from a source. And of course, the light we experience from God, the source is a person, and it's the person of Jesus Christ, the light of life. And when we experience the presence of Jesus, a sense of him being real in our lives, a real relationship, when I experience Jesus speaking to me as in a sense in my heart of encouragements or um, he strengthens me, or I feel like I can literally in my heart or in my mind feel that he loves me. That changes everything. It makes waiting in hope so much easier. It makes living in a dark world so much easier. Because Jesus, the source, the light of life himself, he is actually eternally fulfilling. Jesus is endlessly beautiful. Jesus is perfectly faithful. You know, Jesus is wildly exciting and also soothingly comforting at the same time. And he is the source of all healing, all goodness, all peace, all joy, all wonder, all beauty, he is the enduring eternal king who is coming to light up the whole world again. And that is the best part of our Advent reflections, is experiencing the nearness of the source, the nearness of Jesus. I wonder if the band would come back before we pray. Why don't we stand and I'll pray for us before we finish in worship. Jesus, um, Thank you that you are the enduring, eternal, good king who is coming to light up the whole world. Jesus, we anchor our hope and our waiting today, this Advent, in your word, that you say that you are coming to make everything new that there is coming a day where every tear will be wiped from our eyes and there will be no more death. But Jesus, I pray even more than that this morning, 
that in our waiting for that, in our act of staying right where we are until a specific outcome or event, I pray that in all of that, we would experience the source itself, that we would have experiences this season of hearing the source himself draw near, hearing his voice. I pray right now for everyone in this room that, Jesus, you would speak to their hearts, that they would hear your kindness towards them, that there is for them a personal experience of the great king who's coming, that they can know him as a friend. And I pray for everyone this morning who is in the darkness and feels very far from the source, very far from Jesus. I pray for special blessing on them right now and over this Christmas. I pray you would protect them, Jesus. And I pray that they would have the courage to sit in the darkness, to light a candle, to open your word, and to hear your voice. We pray, come Holy Spirit. Amen.